Are you ready to take control of your life? Overcome the obstacles that have been holding you back. I'm Dr. D, and welcome to Quitting is Not an Option, a podcast that inspires and empowers you to reinvent your past and revolutionize your future. I know what it feels like to be held back by past failures and setbacks as I myself lost a multi-million dollar business, home, investments, and marriage due to the bad acts of a CFO. But I rose from the ashes and recreated a new life and now I am an accomplished author, gifted speaker, consultant, and life coach. And each episode will cover tips and strategies to overcome adversity, overcome fear and feelings of failure. We also have experts and special guests who share their inspiring experiences to support you every step of the way. Together, we can help you find joy in your journey while positioning you towards success. Let's get started. We all know suicide is the act of intentionally causing one's own death. Mental disorders, which include depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, personality disorders, and anxiety disorders, as well as physical disorders to include chronic fatigue syndrome, as well as substance abuse to include alcoholism and the use of drugs, as well as withdrawal, are all risk factors for suicide. Some suicides are impulsive acts due to stress, such as financial or academic difficulties or relationship problems, such as breakups or divorce. Also, harassment and bullying plays a role in suicides. Those who have previously attempted suicide are at a higher risk for future attempts. Effective suicide prevention efforts include limiting access to methods of suicide such as firearms, drugs, poisons, treating mental disorders and substance abuse, and improving economic conditions. Although crisis hotlines are common resources, their effectiveness has not been well studied. So the most commonly adopted method of suicide varies from country to country and is partly related to the availability of effective means. Common methods of suicide includes hanging, pesticide poisoning, and firearms. This makes suicide the 10th leading cause of death around the world. Suicide is a major national public health issue in the United States. The U.S. has one of the highest suicide rates among wealthy nations. Since the beginning of 2023, there have been an average of about 67 suicide deaths per day. That's right here in the U.S. In 2020, 
there were 45,799 recorded suicides up from 42,773 in 2014. Now, these are stats that comes from the CDC. On average, adjusted for age, the annual U.S. suicide rate increased 30% between 2000 and 2020, which brings us to some 2018 numbers, telling us 14.2 people per 100 died by suicide, which is the highest rate recorded in more than 30 years. Due to the stigma surrounding suicide, it is suspected that suicide is generally underreported. In 2016, the CDC released data showing that the suicide rate in the U.S. had hit a 30-year high and later in June of 2018 released further data showing that the rate has continued to increase and has increased in every U.S. state with the exception of Nevada and those numbers are since 1999. So from 2000 to 2020, more than 800,000 people died by suicide in the U.S. with males representing 78.7% of all suicides that happened between 2000 and 2020. Surging death rates from suicide, drug overdoses, and alcoholism, what researchers refer to as deaths by despair. They are largely responsible for a consecutive three-year decline of life expectancy in the U.S. This constitutes the first three-year drop in life expectancy in the U.S. since the years 1915 through 1918. In 2015, suicide was the seventh leading cause of death for males and the 14th leading cause of death for females. Additionally, it was the second leading cause of death for young people aged 10 to 34. Imagine that. From 1999 to 2010, the suicide rate among Americans aged 35 to 64 increased nearly 30%. The largest increases were among women aged 60 to 64, with rates rising 60%, then men in their 50s with rates rising nearly 50%. The U.S. government seeks to prevent suicides through its national strategy, for Suicide Prevention. This is a collaborative effort of the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Also, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, National Institutes of Health, Health Resources and Service Administration, and the Indian Health Service. Their plan consists of 11 goals aimed at preventing suicide. Older adults are disproportionately likely to die by suicide. Some U.S. jurisdictions have laws against suicide or against assisting suicide. So in recent years, 
there has been increased interest in rethinking these laws. Suicide has been associated with tough economic conditions, including unemployment rate. There are significant variations in the suicide rates of the different states, ranging from 28.89 per 100 people in Montana to 8.11 per 100 people in New York. A firearm is used in approximately half of all suicides, accounting for two-thirds of all firearm deaths. Firearms were used in 56.9% of suicides among males in 2016, making it, hear me clearly, making it the most commonly used method by them. In July 22, the United States transitioned the National Suicide Hotline from the former 10-digit number into a 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline linking both the National Suicide Hotline, the Veterans Crisis Line, and a network of more than 200 state and local call centers run through the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Between 2000 and 2010, the suicide prevention was thought of as the responsibility of mental health professionals within clinical settings. As of 2019, suicide prevention is being recognized as a public health responsibility rather than within clinical settings due to the trend in increasing suicide rates. While suicide is often thought of as an individual problem, suicide impacts families, communities, and society in general. The responsibility of public health would be to develop policies to reduce people's risk of suicidal behavior through addressing factors at the individual to societal levels. Public health emphasizes efforts to prevent violence, in this case, toward oneself. Before it happens, this approach requires addressing factors that put people at risk for or protect them from engaging in suicidal behavior. The CDC has created a national suicide prevention lifeline where they provide free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for people who are in need of such help, and best practices for professionals. In August 2020, during the COVID-19 pandemic, a survey conducted by the CDC found that 25.5% of people aged between 18 and 24 had seriously contemplated suicide within the last 30 days. But the age group 25 to 44, it was 16%. It was reported that in a remotely healthy society, one that provides basic emotional needs to its population, suicide and serious suicidal ideation are rare events. 
a society in which such a vast swath of the population is seriously considering suicide as an option is one which is anything but healthy, one which is plainly failing to provide its citizens the basic necessities for a fulfilling life. When we look at suicide by race, Native Americans and white Americans have the highest suicide rate in the United States. However, more recently, the CDC reported that suicides have sharply increased among people of color, while the white American suicide rate has decreased. The suicide rate increased by nearly 20% for African Americans, while the Native American rate increased by 26%. White Americans were the only group in America to experience a decline in suicide rate. The age-adjusted non-Hispanic white suicide rate declined by nearly 4%. For college students, suicide is the highest cause of death. The suicide rate for male students is about three times higher than that of female students. So while counseling services can help prevent suicide, resource availability may be insufficient. So students who do not go to counseling services are at 18 times more at risk of suicide compared to those who do. Look at the military. A 2009 U.S. Army report indicates military veterans have doubled the suicide rate of non-veterans and more active duty soldiers have died from suicide than in combat in the Iraq war and the war in Afghanistan. When we think about LGBTQ, attempted suicide rates for LGBTQ youth and adults in the U.S. are higher than national rates. What about patients with chronic pain? They are twice as likely to attempt suicide compared with those without chronic pain. Studies have found that very high rates of suicide in people with autism spectrum disorders, those with ADHD, are three times more likely to die by suicide. And then when we think of the world at large, approximately 1.5% of all deaths worldwide are by suicide. PFAM, we have a problem. We have a problem. We got countries with the highest suicide rate in the world are Lesotho, Guyana, Eswatini, South Korea, Kiribati, Micronesia, Lithuania, and Suriname. We must all do what we can to aid in suicide prevention. Welcome, PFAM, and thank you for joining us today. I have a special welcome, a special shout out for our relatives joining us for the first time. We welcome you. Joining us today as our guest is Ms. Gina Perrin. Gina is a lifestyle coach specializing in physical, mental, and spiritual well-being who is drawn to helping others achieve their wellness goals. Gina started her career in life coaching due to her brother's suicide. 
She will share with us today the impact of life after suicide of a loved one. Welcome, Gina. Good morning. I am so excited that you're joining us today, and we're happy that you're willing to touch on this all-important topic of suicide. Gina, tell us what happened with your brother. Okay, so just a little backstory. I am the oldest of four. We were raised on a farm in Pennsylvania. Uh, My brother is two years younger than me and then two little sisters. So it it was a really great childhood because we had lots to play outside and, um, you know, four wheelers and all sorts of things. It was nice. And, uh, it was just a good, good childhood, good country upbringing. And we're always very active family, um, meaning in physical fitness, my brother lifted weights, uh, throughout high school and college. And my dad was into weightlifting. And, and so, Oftentimes, my dad and my brother and I, we would work out together. Just a very fit family, I guess you would say. You know, but then you grow up and you get a little sidetracked in your own life. I was very, very much in, you know, involved with my life and what was going on in my life to even like notice um, that my brother, and I found a lot of this out later, you know, that he, uh, was really suffering and mostly suffering in silence. I guess, you know, my parents were aware of it, but maybe not to the extent um, that it was. But I was just very, very selfish at the time, or at least that's how I, I felt afterwards because I was, you know, I got married and, you know, I had kids and then went through a terrible divorce and didn't really pay much attention to what was going on in my brother's life or really anybody's life around me. And I can say that now, you know. Isn't that just normal? That's what we do. We go on about our lives. And especially when you have a family, mm-hmm. you're concerned with their well-being and and managing the household and so forth and so on. So knowing your every move, knowing the every move of your brother was totally not something you could do. Absolutely. Now I know that now, uh, but it took me, you know, getting help for a couple of years and having to talk to somebody because I, I didn't see it that way when he first died. I, I had a lot of guilt. I just had a lot of guilt. Like I should have, I should have seen something. I should have done something more. Uh, you know, so he took his life Christmas day, 2010. He didn't show up to Christmas Eve the night before. So my dad and I drove to his house to check on him. And it's just, you know, I, I, I took my, I took my oldest daughter there every week to his house after school. He would tutor her. And so I would see him once a week and I just, I just felt like I had missed signs. I should have seen something more. Um, but to your point, I mean, you know, life, life just happens. It happens all around us. Um, but I, I definitely carried this very big burden of guilt for, for a long time. 
So tell us then, how did you find the will to continue, the will to move on, to move beyond? Yes. So I'd love to say that it was some sort of lightning strike or some moment, you know, that happened. Um, It was maybe a series of things. I had really, I really lost myself. I had gained a bunch of weight. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was slipping further and further away from me, just me. I was overeating. I was over drinking. You know, I've talked about this before. I mean, I would just, I'd go home and, and, you know, kind of collapse and just want to crawl into a bubble. It got to the point where I got scared enough. I got scared enough that I was going to end up hurting myself. Um, Maybe not with direct force like he did, but just, you know, kill myself in terms of, you know, eating and drinking and just kind of spiraling down. And it scared me enough to say, I need to do something. I have to change something. I can't put my parents through more. And, um, and I'm a mom and I don't really want to go anywhere, but when you're in those really dark places, it's hard to think that there's really any other way out, if that makes sense. It does. And, and I had moments where I was like, oh, David, I can see why you got to where you did. Like, I understand maybe what your thought process was. And it maybe didn't look like any other, he had any other options. And, uh, and again, that, that scared me. That scared me a lot. Because I saw the devastation that his death had, it was kind of like a, you know, when you know when an atomic bomb drops and then the plume of of the destruction just spreads out over a, a vast area. You know, it's kind of like how his death was. It just kept spreading amongst everybody, uh, even outside of our family. It was just, it was, it was the destruction and the aftermath was almost worth worse than the death itself. If that, if that makes any sense. It does. But are you saying that no one was aware that he was having any issues? No. So I found out afterwards, my parents were aware that he was sad um, that he was down, you know, I guess about his job and he just kind of stopped, started hanging around. And I, and again, I found this out afterwards, they did go to his house and they asked him to talk to someone and he refused. He actually asked them to leave. And then his death was very shortly after that. They didn't even realize to the extent of what he was going through. He was very, very good at he was private. He was very, very private. He was, he was a quiet guy. So he didn't always know what he was thinking or what he was feeling. He was very private about, you know, his emotions, unlike myself or my sisters, a little bit more outgoing. So again, no one, no one realized to the extent of what was really going on with him personally. Gina, if you had an opportunity to speak with him now, what would you say? 
that you're just so, so loved by everyone here. And I wish we would have had more time with you. You would would have wanted to to stick around with us. And then I hope he's proud of proud of what um kind of my transformation, what I have gone through since his death. It's a tough one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I can only imagine. And how does this make you feel having the opportunity? If you have the opportunity to speak with him and saying what you said, do you feel that that is going to give you closure? Do you feel that that will uh, complete your emotional battle with it? How does it make you feel? Yeah, it's interesting when I say that out loud, like what I want to say to him, I, I still get a little emotional, but I I. I did go through that. I have said it to him. You know, when I went to, when I got help and I've written him letters and I talked to him in my prayers. So I feel like I've gotten all those things out that I wanted to say. And, and, and I believe somehow, some way that, that he's heard it. And that was a lot of my healing journey. And see, when you when you talk about your healing journey, um, is this a journey now or a life without guilt anymore? Or somehow it, are there remnants of the guilt still plaguing you? And will that happen for the rest of your life? Most likely, yes. I, I've made peace with it, but there are moments... There are moments where it'll sneak back into my mind. It, it may be an event that's going on or or something that reminds me of him. But then I'm able to quickly say, wait a minute. No, this is not, you know, you've come really far. And, and I know how to kind of rein it back in, if that makes sense. Um, it doesn't, I don't let it plague me anymore. I don't let it, I don't let it hold on to, in my mind for too, too long, I'll go back to the positives and go back to the, the positive conversations I've had with him after his death. And just, it's just a reminder, like it's just going to be a lifelong thing until I see him again. Were there signs that are now visible, but weren't at the time? Are there signs that you can see now just in your last visit with him or in the visits where you dropped off your daughter? You couldn't see them at that time, but are they visible now in your mind? Yes. Yes, very clearly. He um, he kind of, besides going to work, he kind of stopped coming out of his house. The curtains were always drawn. It was almost like he had locked himself kind of into the house. If, um, so it was always kind of dark in there. And one of the very last visits before his death, I 
I had seen his pistol out and something in the back of my mind was like, well, that's just odd, you know? And, and that's how, that's how he did take his ultimately ended up taking his life. But at the time, I think I could just kind of dismissed everything. It's like, oh no, I guess, you know, I don't know. I just didn't think very much of anything until afterwards. And having hindsight being 2020, you think if you had engaged him about it being there, that would have made a difference? No. No. I did for a long time. You know, again, it was like that that guilt before I went and really had to seek out some outside help because it was you know, I, you know, almost like I could have stopped it. I could have what you know, I should have done this and I should have done that. I I don't know that. So carrying some, you know, guilt that uh, over something that I wouldn't even know if that would have made a difference for the rest of my life is not productive for me or for anyone really around me. So no, I, I don't. Gina, What recommendations do you offer to individuals right now that were, that are in your brother's shoes? They are lonely, they're sad, and possibly considering suicide. What do you say to them? I would encourage them to think about all the people in their life that care about them so much. And to know there's there are so many different avenues of help out there that you can go down and you know from 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 therapists to to community groups to there there's countless and there's countless people that would miss you so so much that one's a really tough one because it's a, when you get in those dark, scary places, you feel very, very alone. But you're not alone. And that is, that's one of the things I've told David after his death, like you weren't alone. We're, we're, we're all here. That's um, powerful, Gina. And I can only imagine what you feel and how you feel. Knowing what you had to do for yourself, what support mechanisms do you offer for loved ones of suicide that have not gotten the help that you have and that is not where you are, knowing that you will never truly get over it, but you have moved beyond the pain and the agony, the guilt. What can you offer to some of our PFAM? Okay. This is, this is a, this is a great question. I had no idea how many avenues there are to go down to get help. There is so much out there. We are so lucky to live in a world where you and I can talk across the country you know, through our computers. There's so many support groups. There are, um, you know, if you're into health, like uh, physical fitness, 
join a community gym and get support around you. Local churches, um, self-care is so, so, so big and very, very helpful in it. You know, if you don't like to exercise, but you love getting a massage, do that once a week. Let that treat yourself. Be kind to yourself. So, Gina, what you're saying is so powerful. And I greatly appreciate, you know, your words of wisdom, your advice right now. PFAM, Gina is uh, a an author. She's uh, a lifestyle coach. Gina, what role did writing play in your ability to move forward? Hmm. Okay. So I said before, there's so many things you can do that are like self-care and, and feel good about yourself. One of them is writing. Now, I just happen to love writing. So that was probably the biggest tool that I used and I still use every single day. I journal every single day, but that's what got me through my healing journey. So even if you're not a great writer, you don't have to be a writer at all. You don't even use punctuation. I tell my clients that journal is yours. No one's going to see it. I encourage uh, like word dumping, just open up a journal, set a timer on your phone for three to five minutes. That's it. And just start writing everything that comes to your mind. Every single thing that timer goes off, you close your journal. Writing, writing out our thoughts, getting them out of our body and onto paper helps. It, it almost, it physically helped me release a lot of stress, things I was holding in, things I was even holding back from talking about with my therapist. You know what I could do? I could put them on that piece of paper and that was private, but it got out of me. It got out of my own head. So I really, really encourage everyone listening, write some things down every single day. Grab a little notebook that's just yours. It's just for you. And start getting some thoughts out. Try for just those few minutes every night or first thing in the morning, depending if you're a night a night owl or a morning person. Give it a few weeks and you'll really start to... I mean, for me, it just became like, I couldn't not do it. Very therapeutic for me. Great. That's great. Gina, we want to thank you for joining us today and speaking on this all-important topic. Please tell the PFAM how they can find you, how they can reach you, how they can engage in your lifestyle coaching uh, programs. Please talk to us. Okay, great. Well, they can head directly to my website, ginaperrin.com. You can also find me on all the social media platforms under Gina Perrin. And you can sign up for my free newsletter. It comes out every month and it talks about a lot of healthy ways to, to um, you know, for your mind and your your body. I have a free uh, ebook, 12 Healthy Habits for Mind, Body, and Soul, that they can sign up and get that as soon as they get onto my website. And I'd also encourage them to join my private Facebook group. It's a healthy habits and it's a community of really like-minded people that just want to get healthy together again for our mind and our body. And once a month, 
I actually go on and I do a live coaching little five day uh, mini healthy habits challenge at the beginning of every month in that group. So I would love for them to join me. Beautiful. And I'm sure we have many PFAM members who would love to join you. PFAM, thank you for tuning in and go to her website, which is yes, G I N A P E R I N, Gina Perrin. Yes, www.ginaparent.com. All right, beautiful. Thank you so much, Gina. We wish you the best and your family, your parents, knowing the pain that is ever present. And uh, we pray for your continued blessings. PFAM, allow me to leave you with Isaiah 41.10, which tells us, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Take care and be safe. Thank you for listening. I hope you found today's episode valuable and inspiring. Remember, you have the power to reinvent your past and revolutionize your future. If you want to continue on your journey towards emotional freedom and achieving your full potential, be sure to visit drdcarol.com. That's D-R-D-E-E-C-A-R-R-O-L-L.com for more resources and information. Again, thank you for listening. And until next time, remember that quitting is not an option.